good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Welcome to the first Wednesday Chapel for the winter term. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. You are you're here. If this is your first NBC Chapel, we welcome you. Um, look around. If you see somebody that you do not recognize, make sure you greet them before the evening's over. Make sure you say hello. Our speaker for this evening is a, an NBC alum, alumni and also one of our local pastors here in Colorado Springs. He's the senior pastor at True Life Community Church. Pastor Keith Morgan. Let's welcome Pastor Keith. He's here with his wife. Thank you for joining us here this evening. Revelations chapter 4. This is day and night. They never stop saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever. And they lay their crowns before and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We believe that in a holy God, and he is Lord of our lives. Let us all stand this evening as we worship. Good to be with you this evening. I, I, uh, I am finding that there is no one like Jesus Christ. And uh, I am finding that he is unique. He is incredible. He is limitless. He is beautiful. And to sing those songs tonight is, uh, is just exactly what my soul needed. And so I am glad to be here with you tonight. And uh, it is good to be uh, sharing this time with you. Uh, thank you for allowing me to do so. Tonight, I want to talk to you just a little bit about a journey I've been on, kind of rediscovering Jesus. And in fact, uh, it's kind of a, a journey of, of finding and discovering the real Jesus Christ. Now, that might sound a little strange to you, because when you think of Jesus, you think of the one Christ that perhaps you've heard taught, and uh, the things that you've heard in sermons, and that you've read, and so forth. But I'm finding in our culture today that Jesus takes on a lot of different faces. He means a lot of different things to different people. And there tends to be multiple, many Jesuses wandering around in the culture in which we live today. I got started on this quest because I read a crazy book not too long ago called My Imaginary Jesus. It's by a guy named Matt Michelados. And in the book, and in fact, to, to kind of give you an idea of how crazy it is, it, one of the, the relevant magazine writes, it is a cross between Monty Python meets C.S. Lewis. 
But the premise, and I'll read a little bit from it in just a few moments, but the premise of the book is the idea that many of us have created Jesus in our own image. That we've created Jesuses that fit into our particular comfort zones, Jesuses that fit where we are. We've, we've created and imagined a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And I want to talk about that tonight just a little bit and share with you some of the things I've been learning and discovering as I, as I finished this book. I got to the end of it and I thought to myself, why do we make imaginary Jesuses? And how does that work? And I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. And the first passage of Scripture that came to my mind as I was considering this was the passage in Matthew chapter 16. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We'll look there together this evening. And there's a couple of great things that are going on here as we move into this passage. The disciples have had the opportunity to really see some spectacular things. This particular story in Matthew chapter 16 is also found in Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 9. So it's found in those Gospels as well. And as we put those three Gospels together, what we discover is that the disciples have been witness to some incredible things over the last few weeks or however long the span has been, at least the last few chapters in each of the books. Some of the things that they've witnessed is Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. They've watched Jesus walk on the water. We, they've seen him calm a storm when they thought that it was the end for sure and they were going to be capsized. There's great crowds that have been coming to Jesus and he's been healing all of their sick and their lame and so forth. There's a Canaanite woman that's mentioned who has a daughter who's demon-possessed and she does everything she can to get to Jesus Christ because she wants her daughter to be healed. And sure enough, Jesus, after a bit of conversation, does just that by just saying it and her daughter is healed from her demon possession. There's Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead. And then Jesus again, he feeds 4,000 people this time. All these different things that they have seen and watched and others who've been following have seen and watched as well. And then we come to this place in Matthew chapter 16. My Bible titles it Peter's Confession of Christ. But it also is, is a, a, there's a question that Jesus asks of the disciple, two questions that are very important to what we're talking about this evening as well. So if you would stand with me, we'll read this passage in chapter 16. We'll begin right there in verse 13. And we will read through to verse 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this, this evening. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would have your way. I ask God that you would lead us tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to comprehend and understand 
the truth of the scriptures and give us the ability to understand and comprehend the beauty of Jesus Christ, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, and to follow the true Son of God. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Who do people say I am? That was the first question that Jesus asked every, the disciples that were standing around there. And then he put a, a, a question to them that was very cutting and to the point. What about you? Who do you say I am? What, what's, what's your verdict? What do you say? Now, it's interesting the response that the disciples give to the first question. First, they say that some people say that he's John the Baptist. All these folks, they've been seeing many of the miracles that the disciples have been seeing as well. Some of them have even uh, had miracles happen in their very own lives or in the lives of their families and friends. But yet some are still confused. They don't understand who he truly is. And, and some of them think that he is John the Baptist. Maybe they were looking for a Jesus who would kind of be like John, you know, who, who kind of told it like it was and said, you need to stop doing what you're doing. Get out of that sin. Repent. Or maybe they like the idea of the John who was a hermit in the desert. I don't know, but for some reason, some folks thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. There were other folks who thought that Jesus was Elijah, brought back to life. And maybe they like the idea of a miracle-working Jesus. They like the mighty miracles that Jesus performed. Elijah performed some incredible miracles. Maybe they were hoping that he would perform a miracle much like Elijah and the prophets of Baal when he called down that fire and they were all consumed. And maybe they were hoping he would do that to the Romans that were all around that region. But some folks thought Jesus was Elijah. Other folks thought that Jesus was Jeremiah. Again, brought back to life. And maybe they looked at Jeremiah and they saw the weeping and the sorrow of that prophet and they thought to themselves, we, we see Jesus in this way, the love and the sorrow he has for the people and, and the, and the com compassion that he has. And also they thought of him as one of the other prophets, perhaps, the disciples even put in there. And when I think about the prophets, I think about folks who are warning us about what's to come. And maybe they like that idea of Jesus kind of declaring what was going to come down from God and what, they, what was coming around the corner. While John the Baptist oftentimes confronted people personally, it seemed like prophets oftentimes confronted a whole nation, and maybe they were ready for a Jesus who would confront a whole nation. Whatever it was, there were obviously a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was. People saw him in a lot of different ways. They weren't really sure. But then he puts it to, to the disciples, but what about you guys? What, who do you say I am? And Peter gives the best answer. Sometimes Peter puts his foot in his mouth, but this time he gets, it, he gets it right. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is, is so excited about this, and he says, you know what, Peter? That's right. But you didn't get this from your own wisdom, from your own knowledge. God has given this to you, an understanding of who I am, and you are right on. And upon this truth, I will build my church, and the very gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I believe we live in a culture today much like that culture, and maybe even more so, where we are really confused about who Jesus is. There are a lot of people who are trying to make Jesus in their own image or trying to come up with a, a Jesus that's a little more comfortable for them. Unfortunately, this even makes its way into the church sometimes, and we are following a Jesus often that is not the Jesus of the Bible. 
This all started rolling around in my head, this search for the real Jesus, as I mentioned earlier when I read this book, The Imaginary Jesus. Now, this is a very interesting book, and some of you wouldn't like it. Some of you might because you're strange like me. But I want to read to you a, a little bit of chapter 32 and give you an idea of the descriptions of the Jesuses that this author, Matt Michelados, gives. And you have to understand that he's writing this book as if he was telling his own life story, but it's also very fictional as well. It's, a, it's an interesting read. And in this particular, as we come into this chapter, he's realized that the Jesus he's been following is not the real Jesus. He ends up going to a bookstore in Portland, Oregon, which apparently is a gigantic bookstore. And while he's there, he runs into all kinds of imaginary Jesuses because I guess they like to hang out there. And all, they just keep coming at him one at a time. So listen with me and hopefully you'll enjoy this. And hopefully it will also kind of spark some thoughts for you. New Age Jesus came flying up alongside me and tackled me. You left both my chapters on the cutting room floor, he snarled, his purple, get haze, his purple haze burning my eyes with the scent of too much incense. I pushed him hard and he rolled to one side. I jumped to my feet and assumed a defensive stance. You're nothing like the real Jesus. The whole New Age movement would be better off saying they just don't believe in Jesus at all. Just ignore him if you can't explain him away. I had to cut your chapters because you were such an easy target. You would, made me look like, you would make me look like a jerk for attacking you. A swarm of denominational Jesus trampled New Age Jesus in their hurry to get to me. Catholic Jesus and Protestant Jesus argued the whole time. Baptist Jesus was dragging an enormous bathtub full of water behind him. The various Orthodox Jesuses were carrying tasty treats from Russia, Greece, Romania, and all over the world. Stern Jesuses, laughing Jesuses, emergent Jesuses, and emerging Jesuses. Like good and evil twins, I guess, but I can never remember which is which. A few Jesuses who barely fit the description like Universalist Jesus, dressed like Buddha with six arms like Shiva, and the six-inch-tall Baha Jesus, and all of them wanted a piece of me. Health nut Jesus came running out of the health section wearing tennis shorts and a headband. <laughs> I pulled away from them all and raced into the purple room. The mob of Jesuses were on my heels. A few more Jesuses from the archaeology section joined us. One from the 1800s was strenuously disagreeing with another from the 1970s about whether the Hittites existed. A Jungian Jesus came barreling up from the philosophy, philosophy section. Political Jesus and all his friends came from the politics section, and then the military Jesus crowd joined in, loudly declaring their passionate approval of whoever was victorious in war. Gay and lesbian Jesus came along too, assuring us that he didn't care about our sexual orientation and that he would gladly talk about it to the exclusion of any other topic. There must have been 50 of them now, babbling, yelling, pushing, shoving. I ran down the stairs to the Rose Room where the scientific Jesuses marched behind us doing their best to prove their own existence. Scientific evidence proves that Jesus exists and is God, they shouted. Perpetually angry Jesus shouted them back down. In the back of the crowd, someone had found feminist Jesus, and she was biting patriarchal Jesus in the shoulder. <laughs> he yowled in pain, but wouldn't hit a woman in public. All of the children's book Jesuses swarmed around us, their strange, incomplete stories and simplified theology shining through their white, simple faces. Their scars were hard to see, but they loved children and had a consistent message. Obey your parents, one of them screamed, while liberation theology, Jesus screamed in frustration, parents should not create a lesser, unempowered class out of the children. 
We burst through the automotive, automotive section and like water spewing through a pipe shot into the orge room. CEO Jesus came running toward us saying I wasn't organized enough with my time and, I, and didn't I want Jesus to bless my business? Feng Shui Jesus offered to rearrange my house so that the spirits would be pleased and cooking Jesus grabbed me by the arm and said, if you follow my first century dietary tips, you can live a long and happy life. I shook him frantically and shouted, you only live to be 33 years old. We crashed like a tidal wave into the gold room. Some of the superhero Jesuses popped out of the graphic novel section. In the coffee room, Super Jesus and God Man were strange visitors from another planet, they cried. Let us use our superior powers to help you. Your primitive emotions and tiny problems baffle us, but we'll help get the, get the cats out of your trees. I tried to run through the gold room, but that's where the mysteries, erotica, and science fiction and fantasy are kept. Aslan, the Jesus lion, roared when he saw me. Alien Jesuses who want, to worship, who want us to worship them waved their tentacles, and Da Vinci Code Jesus pushed others aside. His convenient inability to see objective reality causing him to foam at the mouth and scream obscenities at Catholic Jesus. They were all on all sides of me. Footprint Jesus came up alongside me in the blue room, and he offered to carry me because he could see I was having a rough time. We wedged ourselves into the green room, and there on my left, past the Jesus action figures and the new arrivals, where new Jesuses are manufactured every day, was the northwest section. And there I saw my imaginary Jesus. Kind of an interesting read, as you can tell. But it made me think, how do we know when we're following the real Jesus? And why do we make up imaginary Jesuses? What is going on? You see, I think that sometimes we try to change Jesus. We try to change who he is and what he's about and what he stands for and what he wants to do in our lives. We try to invite him to join us. But Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he was saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the Jesus whom I met on a road to Damascus who changed my life forever. The demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, after he had been touched by Jesus and all the demons cast out of him, he went to the ten cities around there and told them all about what Jesus Christ had done for him because Jesus had made a difference. You see, the real Jesus makes a difference in your life. He's everything. When the disciples met the real Jesus, they dropped all their nets and just started following him. They couldn't help themselves. We look to Jesus today not if, as if he was everything, but unfortunately we look at him as somebody that we can learn from. Learn how to be a good person and to be a good dad and to be a, a good husband and to be a good worker and so forth and so on. Not as someone we might give our lives away to. Someone we might become like. Someone we might even die for. I say if Jesus is the real Jesus, then we should follow him as if he was the real Jesus. I say we should live like he is the real Jesus. I say that we should talk like Jesus is the real Jesus, if he is the real Jesus. I say that we should serve like Jesus is the real Jesus, and we should witness like Jesus is the real Jesus, and we should love like Jesus is the real Jesus, and pray like Jesus is the real Jesus, and study like Jesus is the real Jesus, and preach and teach like Jesus is the real Jesus. 
for some reason, we fail to do that more often than not. I think maybe we oftentimes hope that there is another way to God. Because wouldn't that be a whole lot easier than having to tell our friends that Jesus was the only way? But he really is. I think that probably one of the Jesuses that, that uh, gets the most attention in our culture today is love Jesus. You know, everybody's loved by God. And I mean, if God loves you and God loves me, we're all doing okay, you know. But the reality is, is that God's love is not the doorway to salvation. God's love is simply the key that unlocks the doorway to salvation. And the doorway to salvation is Jesus Christ. The only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why the devil does such hard work and does such good work at keeping us from focusing on the real Jesus and getting our attention onto a Jesus that really doesn't exist. I say if Jesus is the real Jesus, then we should live like Jesus is the real Jesus. It kind of reminds me of Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua was speaking to that group of Israelites that had recently crossed the Jordan, or not Jordan, but had crossed over into the Promised Land. And he said to them, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves whom you will serve. If following the real Jesus doesn't seem all that fun to you, then choose someone else, but quit pretending like you're really following him. You know, with so many Jesuses, the question comes to my mind, how do you know if you're following the real one? And I think the answer is found in this passage of Scripture. I want to give you four questions you can ask yourself tonight to see if you're following the real Jesus, and then I will close. The first question is this, is the Jesus that you're following the Jesus of the Bible, or is he the Jesus of yours or other people's ideas? That was, was, was what was behind <laughs> the first question, who do people say the Son of Man is? What do other people say? What, is, what are other people's opinions? What do they think? You see, does your revelation of Jesus Christ come from others' ideas like friends and family or maybe even a good book you've read lately? Or has it come from God? Has it come from the Holy Spirit working in your life? Has it come from the Bible? And all of those things can be incorporated in a good church. In fact, I would say tonight that if you're not attending church and you're not reading your Bible there's a good chance you're not following the real Jesus. The second question is, is this Jesus that you're following, is he one-dimensional or multifaceted? You see, when we look at verse 14 there, and they share the different things that people thought about Jesus, every one of them had a particular view of who Jesus should be. They were trying to fit him into their particular box. This is what Jesus is like. He's like John the Baptist. This is what Jesus is like. He's, he's like Elijah. Inviting Jesus to come along and join them in whatever their crusade was. But Jesus is so much bigger than that. He's so much more than that. He's multifaceted. You see, Jesus, he could confront sin like nobody else.
but he could also extend grace like nobody else. Just ask the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. When the religious leaders wanted to invite their particular view of Jesus into the stoning party. And he said, no, I don't think I'll get in on that. Or Jesus could scold religious leaders better than anyone else, but he could also invite one who had an open heart to find out what it really meant to be born again. So if you are serving a Jesus that's stuck in a little box that fits just your particular preferences, I got a feeling you might be following the wrong Jesus. The third question is, is he following you or are you following him? As we go through this passage of Scripture and we look at it, the question that Jesus offers his disciples is a really important one because some pretty big things are coming up. Jesus is headed to the cross. That's where he's going. He's going to die. And in fact, as we move through this passage and we get to verse 21, I want you to take a look at it with me. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter, who had done such a good job earlier, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter was saying, Jesus, follow me. You're going the wrong way, Jesus. That idea of, of heading there and, and to Jerusalem and, and suffering all these things and eventually even being crucified and killed and dying, that's the wrong way, Jesus. Jesus, you follow me. Come on with me, Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, uh, Peter, you're acting like the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And you know what? When we ask Jesus to follow us, that's exactly what it is. We have in mind the things of men. We have in mind our own ideas, our own preferences, our own particular agendas, whatever they might be. Jesus has another plan, and he invites us to follow him. The final question, and this is a biggie, the final question is this. The Jesus that you're currently following, has it cost you anything to follow him? Has it cost you anything to follow the Jesus you're currently following right now? As we continue in this passage, we look at verse 24 and it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You see, I find that if we're following the real Jesus, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us for sure our own particular ideas of which way we should go and what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. We're going to have to lay all that down and say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going where you go. You see, whenever the Bible talks about taking up one's cross and following Jesus Christ, it's talking about laying down our own personal agenda and picking up the agenda of Jesus Christ, which is to glorify God. Oftentimes we think about what it might cost us to follow Jesus. We think about giving up 
family and friends or losing family and friends. And sometimes that happens when we decide to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes following Jesus Christ means that it's going to cost us some personal attacks because people don't like to hear about the real Jesus. Now, if your Jesus finds it easy to hang around with people and folks really like your Jesus, you might be following the wrong Jesus. Because the real Jesus makes people uncomfortable. Now, those with an open heart, they can't get enough of him. But we might suffer some personal attacks. But more often than not, the thing that it costs us, because most of us have, don't always have to lose a friend or lose a family member. We don't always have to endure personal attacks. But more often than not, it's the issue of convenience. You see, following Jesus Christ is very inconveniencing. Following the real Jesus is very inconveniencing. Because you know what it costs? It costs time. It costs that sacred thing that we call time. And then when we start giving up that time, Jesus keeps putting us in the path of people that we really don't have time for. And we keep having to get closer to them than we really want to get closer, as close to. We keep having to do things that we don't really want to do. We don't have time for this kind of stuff. It was so much easier following that other Jesus. And I was having so much more fun. But you see, when we follow the real Jesus, we enter into the greatest adventure that all of us have ever been invited upon. It's an adventure that can change from day to day and moment to moment because at any moment, Jesus Christ can use us and he can work in us and through us, but we have to be following him. Because if we're following some other Jesus, we won't see those opportunities, we won't see those people, we won't have time for them. And so I ask you this evening, are you following the real Jesus? Or are you following one of these Jesuses that Mark Michelados mentions? There's a, one of the Jesuses in here that's really funny is called Eight Ball Jesus. And whenever you have a question, he, you just kind of look at him. He says, uh, not sure, most definitely, you know. There's another Jesus in there that's called Testosterone Jesus. And he says that he shows up mostly at men's retreats. And everybody goes home, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's right. Are you following the real Jesus? As I ask myself that question, because whenever I preach, trust me, the Lord's already dealt with me before I ever get a chance to share it with you. As I ask myself that question, I'm searching. I want to make sure that I am following the real Jesus. I want to make sure that my life belongs to the real Jesus and not someone who's going to lead me in the wrong direction. I want you to stand with me tonight. As we move to close, we're going to close a little differently. This is the posture of one who's following the wrong Jesus. Because in this posture, we're saying, Jesus, come on over here and hang out with me. Come on over here and do my thing. Come on over here and be a part of what I'm a part of. Let's stand right here beside me. Because when you stand beside me, I look pretty good. The posture of someone who is following the real Jesus is more like this. 
Because this posture says, Jesus, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. And so I'm going to ask that we close in prayer this way tonight. If you wouldn't mind, if you're physically able to kneel where you are. And let's ask God to help us to follow his son. Father God, we come to you in the glorious and beautiful and strong name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Lord, for the things that you are teaching us. And we have so much to learn. Father, sometimes we can get going so quickly and so fast. And we look for a little bit of relief from some things. And the next thing you know, we're not following your son. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us to know where the real Jesus is leading our lives. The things that he requires of us and asks for us. The adventures that he has in store for us. And then help us, Lord God, to join him right there. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lay down our selfishness. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to lay down our own personal preferences and our preoccupation with ourselves in this world. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would also help us to lay down, Father, our desire to be accepted by others and not to ruffle any feathers. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to follow Jesus, your Son, no matter what it costs. We love you so much, God. I pray that you would make it clear to us what you require of us tonight, each one personally. And that tonight we would determine that as for us, we will follow the real Jesus. I love you, God. Thank you for inviting me on this adventure and all of us. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm told that I can dismiss you to class, so God bless you, you're dismissed.